Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. Hey, this is Big Chief and you're listening to the Bourbon Road. You know what I love to pour in my old fashions is a little maple syrup can't be just any maple syrup it has to be from seldom seen farms up in ohio he takes bourbon barrels pours his syrup in there and ages it for six to nine months making for some delicious just some delicious syrup that you could pour on pancakes you could pour it on waffles chicken and waffles like this fat guy likes but seriously you want to make a delicious cocktail with some maple syrup and not that old simple syrup Check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. Pick up some stuff from there today. We'd appreciate it. Hello, everybody. I'm Jim Shannon. And I'm Mike Hyatt. And this is The Bourbon Road. And today, Mike, we are out on the road once again. Heck yeah. We uh, drove down here to Claremont, Kentucky. Yeah? No. What's in Claremont? Well, there, there's Barnheim Forest, these wooden giants out here. Yeah. Our good buddy, Steve Johnson, he lives right across the road from where we're at. He's one of our roadies. He's out here. And I think there's this little tiny craft distillery out here. Yeah. Which one's that? Uh, the James B. Beam Distilling Company, right? Oh, yeah. So that's where we're at. We're <laughs> actually setting inside this historic home, the Baker Beam House, um, which is pretty badass, right? Yeah, absolutely. And sitting across from us is their newest master distiller, Freddie No. Freddie, welcome to the Bourbon Road. Yeah, thank you guys. Glad to be here today. We're yeah. glad you guys are here with me today. Yeah, we're, we're we're awful glad to be here with Bourbon Road. You got to be on the road, right? It's, it wouldn't right. be right for me to come to you all. Well, yeah. we have done that a few times, but uh, <laughs> but it's always nice when we can get out because it just I mean it just sets the mood for the podcast and it really makes things uh, authentic. Definitely authentic. Very much so. There's not a whole heck of a lot more authentic than being up here on this little hill above the outpost, right between. The outpost and the kitchen table restaurant. That's right. Uh, we had an opportunity to come here and eat. Mike's been there to eat. It's been a. It was a great visit for both of us. I think. Yeah, I got to watch you get named a master yeah. stiller, and you know, I was a little bit disappointed that I had to sit there and listen to the governor talk first. <laughs> and I was like, man, I did not come here to listen to that man talk. Uh, I wanted to either hear you or your father uh, talk, and. Um, Man, your dad had me tear oh, up. Oh yeah, uh, he had me tear up a bit because he let he let his emotions get to him a little bit, and I'm sure it was one of the proudest moments for him. Oh yeah, uh, working Definitely. here all his life, and I'm sure if your grandfather was here, he would he would have. Uh, oh yeah, he would have definitely been proud. You know uh, what was pretty cool about that day? Jimmy Russell was here from Wild Turkey. Yep. You know when Granddaddy passed away. You know Dad had been been in the business a while, right? But kind of I wouldn't say new to to. Uh, ambassador and train, you know, kind of out on the road doing education, but um, really had had leaned on Granddaddy for information and can, you know, how do I keep getting better at this? And uh, when when Granddaddy passed, Jimmy had reached out to Dad, and uh, they had this little thing where uh, Dad calls Jimmy his road dad because um, they'd see each other right at festivals or maybe be traveling in the same city if there was you know things going on, and so I, Jimmy kind of stepped in and. I'd say he mentored dad quite a bit in the, in, in those days after granddaddy passed, uh, you know, uh, out just again, out on the road and, and taking care of him. He, even, I guess one time, one of the first times dad had traveled without granddaddy, he seen Jimmy sitting across the room there 
And he said, I, I kept looking over there, and every time I did, he looked like he was he was writing on the paper, but he didn't have nothing in his hand. And dad said, you know, he thought to himself, why does he keep doing that? What's he doing? And so I walked over, and he said, Jimmy, what are, you, what are you doing, Jimmy? I'm taking notes for your dad. Booker's told me to watch you out here on the road, so I'm watching you. <laughs> and, you know, it, it wasn't too long after that that granddaddy had had passed. And so, you know, just just the connection within the industry, it was very surreal for me to be able to have Jimmy there as well. Um, you know, again, dad looks up to him highly. I do as well. And he said the same thing. He said, your dad got to do something I got to do and not a lot of people do. And that's named their son master distiller because Eddie um, and him are co-master distillers as well. And then he said, your granddad would be very proud of this moment. So I definitely think he was probably looking down on us that day. Was, I, I don't know. Was it as hot today as it was that day? It was it was a pretty hot day. I, we sit out there in yeah, front of the, quite the a while. Post, right? And, yeah, right in front of it, right in the sun. But I'll, I'll tell you what I did notice that day. And Jim and I get to go around the country and go to whiskey festivals and stuff and to distilleries and all kinds of events. And, you know, most people think of Jim Beam as just the white label, right? <laughs> yep. That's what they think. And uh, there's nothing wrong with them thinking that. No. But I will tell you, out of all the whiskey events I've been to, Jim, that whiskey event topped them all. I mean, you guys laid it out uh, from food to cocktails to pours of bourbon. Uh, you name it, you had it. Um, when I pulled up, they didn't even say, who are you? Hey, Mr. Hyatt, get out. We're going to valley park your vehicle. Um, I saw new media people here that I knew. And um, you guys let everybody pour their own bottle, a single barrel Knob yep. Creek and put their thumbprint in it and took us down to the new distillery that you'd named after your dad. And uh, we got to see that. I, I, I'm telling you um, listeners that if you go to a whiskey event, you haven't been to nothing until you come to Kentucky and come to Jim Beam and you'll will find out that they do it right. Don't skip this place right here up on a hill. Uh, you'll love Appreciate it. Appreciate that. You know, a, a lot of it as, as we started talking about building the distillery and wanting to kind of take consumers on a further journey with us through whiskey, maybe even through our family history, right? It's a very prominent part of American history. Um, my family, you know, they started saying, how do you want to engage with consumers on campus as we open back up, right? With the pandemic, we shut everything down because we were doing construction. So it let us really get a lot of the stuff done in a much more timely manner because we didn't have consumers, you know, kind of wandering around. We were initially going to take a phased approach, ended up choosing to kind of go all down and, and get it all done so that we could have that big grand reveal. So it's great to hear you say ex that's exactly what my vision was as we were starting to kind of lay out what we wanted. We wanted people to A, feel at home, uh, take the pretentiousness out of whiskey as well, right? You know, I think sometimes when you hand someone a glass of whiskey, there's and especially if you're in the industry, I think people maybe get a little bit uptight about, I'm going to have to like this. I hope he's not asking me for tasting notes, things like that. What we're about here is, you know, we, we make good quality whiskey. That's, that's what my, my day job is day in and day out to, sh and to share it with the world. And so to be able to open our doors up, show a little bit more of our process to, to everyone, but have y'all come here and, and learn a little bit about bourbon, but key is just enjoy yourself, you know, enjoy our, our products, enjoy the new restaurant, and hopefully you'll pick up some key elements that, A, make our whiskey important to us, but hopefully key elements of of the foundational learning of what bourbon and, and American whiskey is all about as well. So I'm glad to hear you say that. 
from that event because that was kind of the the kickoff right there, right? So if set the bar high and and I said we just keep keep raising the bar as as we keep going. So hopefully we can keep doing that. Even when we come in today, um, you guys were having an employee event here, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm. I'm always curious, and I know Jim is too, of how distilleries treat their employees. And you guys had barbecue out there, cocktails, some whiskey mm-hmm. for them and stuff. And there wasn't a person that didn't have a smile on their face. And I love to see that. Even your security guards over there had smiles on their face. They did. I, don't, Absolutely. I don't know if they're sipping on whiskey they over uh, there. They didn't frisk you guys down too hard and, <laughs> and make sure you weren't coming up here to try to take me away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She she did ask if we had any whiskey with us. <laughs> <laughs> well, she probably just wanted a drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you guys have been here or in Kentucky or laying down whiskey since 1795. That's right. That's right. That's a long time, Jim. It is a long time. We keep talking about whiskey. But we haven't tasted any yet, Mike. Oh, heck, I just heck, thought yeah. I'd say something. I, like, about it. I mean, usually I, I usually bring that up myself. I'd go to a seminar and maybe be speaking. And well, that 1795 leads into what's in our glass, though, right? Okay, very much yeah. so. Well, continue, my friend. Very much so. <laughs> Jump the gun a little bit, but, honestly. But get, get, get on to it. Get to the whiskey. <laughs> I know the listeners like, what, what do you guys drink? So, what did you pour for us today? So, what I've got um, is one of our newer releases, the first release, actually, of our newest brand, which is Hardin's Creek. Uh, to your reference, 1795, uh, Jacob Beam landed here in Kentucky um, on Hardin's Creek, which if you're familiar with Kentucky, it's Hardin's Creek is in Manton, which is really the center point between Bargetown and Springfield, Kentucky. So a uh, little, little maybe 35 miles away from where we're sitting here in Claremont. Um, you know, and, and Jacob came, Jacob's dad passed away when he was six. He was born in Pennsylvania. Um, at six years old, they moved to Maryland to her, her mom's, I guess his uncle's farm. And he was basically, a, I'd say a, a young farmhand there due to his uncle being in the continental army, they received a land grant to come to Kentucky and grow corn. And so Jacob and seven, some, some siblings and some cousins, right. Cause it was from his uncle, but the two families kind of equally split up the 800 acres and Jacob came here. Really, again, on a promise to to grow 100 acres of corn. So he received 100 acres of land there. And, you know, talking with granddaddy, um, everybody in that time was, uh, if, if you were a farmer, you were a distiller. Because if you're growing grain, as you all know, if you grow grain or have grain or any kind of food, right, it goes bad. Um, why everybody was a was a distiller was because if you were farming – you needed to be able to preserve your grain. And so really whiskey making became a method of preservation. Uh, and, and with that, you know, and, and we've been at it ever since 1795. So it, it, to me, it's one of my favorite stories. When I first started, I asked dad why we had Knob Creek. And he said, well, that's Abraham Lincoln's boyhood home. And I said, but we started making whiskey on Hardin's Creek. Why, you know, why don't we have a brand name that? And he kind of looked at me like, well, you might have a good point there, but <laughs> so he's like, you need to get back in the distillery. <laughs> but so it's something I've always wanted to do is honor Jacob. I draw a lot of inspiration from that story because, again, as we've gone through this campus re kind of redesign, the question that's probably been asked to me a hundred times: What do you think the founders' vision was? And I quickly say, Are you talking about Jim Beam or Jacob Beam? Because you know Jim Beam was kind of the founder of of what I would say are modern uh, whiskey. There's a prohibition that kind of is the the pin between what I'll say the 
the kind of uh, original uh, four distillers, which I'd still say Jacob, David, David M. Beam, and Jim Beam. And then I guess the next four, which would be, I, I use Jim Beam twice, pre-prohibition and post-prohibition, because he's really a very strong linchpin in our family's history. Uh, but so very strong tie back to that and draw a lot of inspiration from Jacob, mainly because what was his vision? No one really knows, right? I, I would say a lot of it was, you know, knowing your your dad passed at a young age. He was 29. And, you know, you're young as well, right? And coming to Kentucky, he probably saw an opportunity to have a little piece of ground of his own, start his own farm. And really, in, in that time, right, it was about establishing your family, right? Yep. Family is yep. extremely important. So to think that a fella came here just off of the opportunity to kind of have his own space and, and what it can't turn into, right? A few, a few people come here and next thing you know, there's an industry that pops out of what was, what was going on here. So sure. a lot of inspiration from that. So uh, what's, what's in our glass, the kind of long-winded version is uh, Hardin's Creek, Jacob's Well. So there is a well I visited with my granddaddy when I was uh, eight years old, um, right there on Hardin's Creek, right next to a little root cellar where, where Jacob made whiskey. Still a little bit of water in that, in that uh, well. Not enough to make whiskey. We thought about doing that, but it wouldn't wouldn't work. So, uh, in honor of that, we we have the release Jacob's Well, which brings together our traditional family mash bill at Jim Beam Mash Bill and and Jim Beam Liquid. A little older than most people typically see it, sitting at a little over fifteen, right at one hundred eighty four months. Um, yeah, we had to do the math. Uh, you know, that's what, <laughs> they were like, "Why do you want to go back to the, you know?" A lot of times in old history, they used months um, on on whiskey labeling. And I, I joked, I said, well, I wanted to bring that back so we can make people start doing some math again. So they can yeah. see how many years. Too easy to see that age statement and and know, right? So make you stand there in front of the aisle and think about it. Use your hands and toes. The bad thing is, right, you don't have 12, so it's hard to kind of count years <laughs> if you don't have 12 fingers and toes. <laughs> so we did some quick head math, and we came out with 15 years, four months. You is, got it. Is ding, that right? Ding, ding. Okay. It's like the price is right. Yeah, we had a little bit more math thrown in there because we were trying to figure out how old you were when the barrels were laid down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had to do a little research. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many people know this, but as I'm researching Hardin's Creek and where it's at, uh, which is Hardin's Creek runs past another Beam Sumptorium Distillery Maker's mm-hmm. Mark, right? Yep. Um, but you guys had actually released a Hardin's Creek Jacobs Well uh, several several years ago. Yeah. So actually, that same uh, time frame I was talking about when we visited Jacobs Well, uh, it wasn't Hardin's Creek. It was just Jacobs Well. Um, they had planned to maybe launch it as a micro batch, micro blended batch. Very similar um, whiskey streams uh, at 84 months versus 184 months. Uh, so right around seven years old there. And it was the same kind of same premise. It was a 50-50 blend of Jim Beam and Old Granddad. And what's really unique about this one is when you create a new brand, right? I can kind of create the guardrails that go around it. And one of them was, and I say it a lot in meetings for all of our brands, but, you know, for Basil, it's always going to be 80 proof. And it's kind of a, a guardrail that we can't really break. Um, but for this one, I say, and I say it a lot, is we'll let the whiskey do the talking. So we let the whiskey literally tell us the percentages. It came out at about 56.44, Jim Beam, uh, a little bit higher percent than, than the old granddad. The old granddad was just over 16 years old, but obviously right at 184 has to go with the, the younger of the two. Sure. 
Um, but yeah, so that was, and I laughed when they said, well, how come you don't think that one was successful? I said, I thought it was a little bit before it's time, right? You're talking about blending back in 1995 in American whiskey. I don't think the, the level of education or, or really the level of attention that the industry has was there for that. So I kind of took that same idea and went back to the drawing board and, and let the whiskey do the talking here. So as I said, 184 months. Uh, Hardens Creek, Jacobs Well, and 108 proof. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. It's, uh, it's as good as it was the time we had it before. We'd said that it had a, it's obviously got lots of char being a 15 year old bourbon um, right up front. A little bit bittersweet caramel. Um, a lot of people might not know that, but there's a little bit of tannic in there. And mm-hmm. that's probably because of the age that Again, barrel yeah, char. Yeah. Um, so it gives all the notes uh, that you want, those old notes like leather and tobacco and oak. A uh, little unsweetened cherry in there. Oh, yeah. Um, that, we thought. Cherry is one fruit. of my, I'd say, a, a mark in, in that whiskey that I was looking to try to pull out. It's, when you get to that age, you know, we've got Knob Creek 15. We did a release on tasting through those barrels. That was one thing I picked up on very quickly was in that age range, you're getting a lot of that kind of Kind of, uh, it's like a to me almost like a very sweet cherry juice versus an actual cherry, right? Like a uh, tough to put a name on one, but just you know, uh, like a very kind of like viscous cherry, yeah, uh, juice. We said it had a spice that just coated your mouth. Not some bourbons you get; it's just on the back of your palate, right? But this, this is everywhere. Um, that kind of nice spice that you want, and kind of overwhelming. Uh, typically, right? Uh, you, you get mm-hmm. a spice. Sometimes can be a little bit overwhelming. But what I thought was very unique about this is it's just a very pleasant kind of spice to it. Not so yeah. that spice mold spice tea or something like that. Oh, yeah. Spice one. We said something about a black walnut, right? Yeah, that black I, I walnut. I get that black walnut. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of the, you know, people say I did a an AMA on Reddit when you ask me anything, and people were asking a lot about the nuttiness in our in our products. And you know what we've come to come to learn is that's most likely attributed to our yeast strain, which is very important to us here at Beam. But so when you say walnutiness, or a lot of people say peanut butter or peanuts, uh, I, I haven't ever picked up an actual peanut uh, taste in our whiskey, but. The nuttiness analogy, I, I definitely pick yeah. up in, in walnut as well. So yeah, I think between a walnut and a peanut, it's two. Oh yeah, definitely different. <laughs> Very different. And, and even a black walnut's going to have a little bit more of that uh, dry, bitter kind mm-hmm. of finish. It'll be it. drying, but it also has a little bit of oiliness to it. Yeah, it's just just a a more robust kind of a nut. Even though a peanut's really a, a ground, yeah, uh, off the ground plant. Right. But, you know, a walnut is a is off a tree. I got. You know, Jim, I got, I don't know, hundreds of walnut trees on our farm. Yep. So yep. Uh, we got one in our backyard. My, lawn, my lawnmower loves them. It, <laughs> yeah. oh, yeah. It's like bullets flying out. Kids love them too, right? They pick oh, them yeah. up, throw oh, them yeah. around, yeah. and they look yeah. down their stain. So, well, let's, let's, since you brought up kids, yeah. um, did you grow up here like running around the distillery oh, yeah. with your dad and your grandfather? It's kind of funny. Uh, today, you just missed it. So, my wife had brought down our son, Booker, um, and, and, her sister's son, Knox, who is our his cousin, uh, she had him today, and uh, she's like, "I'd like to come eat lunch with you." We've been I've been pretty busy this week, so she come down. They were tumbling off the hillside in front of Granddaddy's statue while I sat there and watched them. So, yeah, I, I you know I think 
a lot of people ask, you know, did you grow up around the distillery? And then the next question is always, uh, you know, how does it feel to know what you're going to do and kind of be around what you're going to do your whole life? And I think what's so cool about my family is you let kids grow up and be kids. Um, the distillery is just another place, right? Like grandma's house, really. It's it, it's mm-hmm. just another grandma's house. Um, obviously, right, dad and I are here quite a bit. So uh, anybody, anytime someone's coming – always ask my daughter or son if they you know want to come down uh, he's a little still a little too young so we kind of make him go wherever we want him to but uh, growing up around here it becomes uh, like a second home that's why I say like grandma's house because you know you start to uh, meet employees who also live in the community we live in and they kind of watch me grow up around here I did a lot of fishing as a young boy with my granddad um, and, and a lot of my f- more fond memories of this facility were riding down here with him, maybe with my dog at the time he'd check in on the distillery. Me and the dog would run around the parking lot and mess around and pick up sticks and stuff. And, and it always ended in a fishing trip. So, you know, he'd be down there making sure the distillery was going, I didn't know what the hell he was doing, but he'd be down there messing around in the distillery, checking in on things. And I'd kind of wander around with the, with the dog there. And then we'd always go fishing. So you know, this place has just always been of great memory, right? That Again, like grandma's house. So growing up here, when you get to a point where you start thinking about, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? And then yeah, lucky, uh, lucky and unlucky for me, I guess, my granddad passed when I was 16, uh, Booker, and we were very close from the time I was born. He called me Little Book. That's where my product Little Book name came from was the nickname he gave me basically as soon as I was born, he said, I'm going to be a little book. I'm a little booker. So, um, but coming here with him, you know, having that connection with him. And then when he passed, you know, when you're 16, you're starting to think a little bit about what you want to do. I, at that time, I still wanted to be a, uh, NFL football player. Uh, but you, obviously, how'd that, how'd that go? It went well, right. Yeah. I'm sitting here in Claremont <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> uh, but it's funny, a funny one on him on that is, you know, he asked me what I want to be when I grow up, and I told him I want to play football. Was, I'll help you get there. I know exactly what you need to do. He said, if you want to play in the NFL, you need to be the kicker. And I, at the time, I was playing quarterback. You know, I was eighth-grade quarterback, moving to high school, started playing high school ball. And I'm like, why the hell would I go from quarterback to kicker? And I, you know, obviously, you probably saw the look on my face, like, "Granddaddy, you're a moron right now." <laughs> but he said, "If you learn to kick and you hit every one of your field goals, there's always a job because you watched all them games. It comes down to a kick. Sometimes they hit it, sometimes they don't. So much so, he built a little goalpost in our backyard to kind of teach me form of kicking. Um, I would say the best results of that when our lead punter got hurt a couple of times in high school, I." Went in to be the backup punter. Yeah. So it, it you're know, 16, you're getting to be around yeah. the distillery, your grandfather and stuff. Did they let you taste bourbon at those at those times? No. So he would let me smell. He'd be doing Booker's tastings at the kitchen table and kind of preparing the batches. And he'd do it with anybody. I mean, if you guys stopped by just for an autograph or maybe you'd been on a tour and they said, hey, if you stop by Booker's, he'd say hello to you. And it's, it's true. He's still stopping in our house today. We Dad and I walk out, say hello. Um you know, he would invite you to come in and smell taste, right? Me being younger, he let me smell. 
And you always say, which one do you like? Always usually three or four glasses. Which one do you like best? Or which one do you think smells best? Well, I'd just pick one. I didn't know what I was really doing. Well, why'd you pick, you know, sometimes, well, why'd you pick that one? I don't know if he thought I was onto something good or maybe he thought my palate was going way off in left field. (laughs) I I never asked him why. But obviously I said, well, I just think it smells the most pleasant to me. So again, was he like, gosh, damn, this boy's going to have a tough time if he thinks that one's good. (laughs) Or was he, you know, looking for for complimentary things I was doing? But yeah, no tasting, Um, but just smelling and. He'd ask me, like I say, what I thought. Um, so do you think there was a little bit of, okay, obviously he he took your passion for football and got behind you 100% on oh, it. Oh, yeah. But do you think deep inside he was kind of want, wanting you to maybe find your way? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I'd laugh because he was, and my daughter probably roll her eyes if she's listening to this because I do the same thing a lot to her. He's always wanted to teach somebody something. You know, to never have graduated college, he was the most intelligent man that that I've probably encountered um very curious that, that that drove a lot of the whiskey that he made food things like that he was just very curious man um so there's a lot of lessons that he was teaching me about maybe money things like that that some of the kind of like behind the scenes of you know i'm not going to say that he was trying to teach me things about the distillery but there were things that he was maybe preparing me for a little bit to Cause I'll be walking through and see something or hear somebody say something. I'm like, is that why he was talking about that? Um, you know, but I, he did a very good job of not making it like he was doing that. Is that as a parent, you know, that's kind of a mistake, right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. If you, if you want your kids to do something, the last thing you want to do is, is let them know you. Right. Yeah. Tell them not to, and they'll do it. (laughs) Say, no, you don't need to do that. And that'd be the first thing they do. So, you know, I say it to my daughter is I want to make you a better human than I am. I want to teach you to be a better person than me. You know, everybody makes mistakes, right? I, I use the analogy of my granddad didn't finish college. He went for a half a semester at UK, was on the football team for Bear Bryant, actually, um, and just decided it's too hot and he was done with it and went on a road trip across the country and then called home and said, i need money to get home. Uh, he actually was at the Air Force recruiter in, in Arizona. He was going to join the Air Force and because he didn't have any money to, to eat or shower. And they gave him a meal, said, hey, you know, you want to join? So he was signing up, but then they called home at that time in the Air Force, or I guess in service. They would call your hometown to make sure there was no warrants out for your arrest. Yeah. So they called back and they said, well, actually, his mother's been looking for him. He, she hadn't heard from him in a couple of weeks. So they get her on the phone. She wires him some money, and he comes back and and gets a job for her brother Jerry, my great great uncle here at the distillery. So that, that could have uh, played out so different. Right? Definitely, and, definitely yeah. could have played you out. Think a lot those different. Air Force recruiters knew who they were really talking to? No, no, heck no. <laughs> they, <laughs> they probably, probably saw a, did drink some Jim Beam before. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, they probably saw two. He had a buddy with him who ended up joining the Air Force. Actually, afterwards, he stayed and joined um, even after his parents said he'd give him the money or give him giving the money. Um, but I'm sure that the recruiter saw these two probably mangy-looking younger men come in there, Kentucky license plate, and they looked hungry. He probably thought, oh, I got two guys ready to go. We're going to give them a hot meal, give them a shower, and I'll have done my job today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as as you've been telling that story, I've been sipping on this a little bit, but there was a, there was a moment there for about two or three minutes where I didn't touch the whiskey. And, it, you know, finish on this is just a good Kentucky mile long. I mean, it's really oh, yes. long. And you don't get that a lot. 
anymore. I mean, it seems like you don't get it as often as you'd like to. Even on a older whiskey, usually don't yeah. get a long finish. To me, you don't. Uh, you know that age kind of it ages oh, yeah. that finish out of it almost. But yeah. this. You must have had some magic in those fingers when you were blending it and deciding, hey, this is how I'm going to lay this down. Um, a lot of it is, you you know, the the best way to, to develop products is to be in touch with your product. And to me, that starts at the grain. You know, for this Jacob's Well, as we said, I think it was 18, I think we just said we ended up determining 18, 17 or 18. Uh, obviously, I was not making whiskey then. I was probably transitioning from being an NFL player to maybe looking for some rea- a do- little dose of reality at that point. Um, but when I did come, that was the, that was what I, I looked for was I wanted to learn everything we had going on here um, because it, it, you know, as a master distiller, there's a lot of things that people look to you for that maybe through your training, you might not pick up just as a distiller. Uh, but I thought it was very important for me. Again, I started, uh, my first day, I started in the granary at 4.30 a.m. That's when our grain trucks start coming in. They, the good part is you get done at 2.30, um, so got off a little bit early. Mm-hmm. Uh, but spent the first week in the granary and then basically moved from, followed that process from grain all the way to shipping, where we ship the cases out at the bottom of the hill. And just seeing how many people touch our process and and help make the world's number one bourbon and our, our small batch brands get out into the world is um, I knew that there was a great opportunity for me to kind of help usher that along and keep, keep everybody together. And there's just so many nuances to, you know, how you do your job here may affect how he does his and and may affect how I do mine. So, uh, you know, going back to it, you know, we have, we, we try to treat our employees as much like family, you know, a lot of times I may travel or, or doing things like this, right. I'm not actually in the distillery right now. I, it could be having a hell of a problem. I can't see it because the, the shutters are closed. But we we empower the people that are our our employees to to make the whiskey to help us sell the whiskey, and it it's just a great honor that so many people can help kind of bring me along. Even right because a lot of people will credit all the whiskey to me because my name is on the on the as the master distiller. You know your your name is kind of the lead of of what you're doing, and so. I got a lot of faith in the team that I've kind of helped build around here and and, and even some that I've inherited from from dad's uh, team as well. But great team that kind of helps keep things going. So I always got to try to treat treat our employees like family. And again, right, because most of them are, are touching the process a lot more than I am. I sit in a lot of meetings uh, or working, <clears throat> working on product development. There's a lot of elements to this this process that one person um, here at this facility, it'd be a hell of a job to try to try to make it from grain to grain to glass without, uh, without having some help for sure. Well, that's a good philosophy. I know as a public facing person, you've got to keep a balance there. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to make sure that, uh, that the uh, dues go to those who put in the effort and, and understand that it is a teamwork and you're doing one part of that job. Very so, much so. That's pretty awesome. Well, Mike, we're kind of up against a break here. What do you say we take a short break and when we come back? Drink more whiskey. Drink more whiskey. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> See right. if we can find another uh, bottle sitting around. All, All right. right. Good deal. Man, Jim, you know what I've really been enjoying lately? Oh, you're going to tell me. 
some of that seldom seen farms maple syrup that's been aged in bourbon barrels. It is absolutely delicious, not only in a cocktail, but you can cook with it, right? You can. You absolutely can. Now, Mike, Kevin just sent me a new shipment, so I got a little bit more. And I've been making some beef jerky lately. Really? Yeah. Now, I know you're the meat master. <laughs> but but I, I tried my hand at it. I said, you know, I want to make some beef jerky. And I've got a pretty decent beef jerky recipe. And it's got a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of Worcestershire, a little bit of, you know, onion powder, garlic powder, those kind of things. But I always put brown sugar in it. Well, this time, Kevin sent me a bottle of his granulated maple sugar. Wow. And I decided that I was going to substitute the maple sugar for the brown sugar. Oh, game changer. Let me tell you. Total game changer. Total game changer. Some of the best beef jerky you've ever had. So I'm going to make another batch here in in about a week, and I'll be sure to get you some. Man, that that sounds delicious. Vivian took, and we just got an air fryer like most people got these days, right? And uh, she took and soaked fresh pineapple in that maple syrup and then put it in the air fryer and it kind of crisped up a little bit. Oh, sounds uh, good. It was just magically delicious. Um, and people probably wonder why we love it so much. Kevin competed in the maple festival uh, last year, 2021, and he was named grand champion. Um, that's saying something. So seldom seen farms grand champion. Of the 2021 Maple Syrup Festival. Yeah. Wow. That's that's saying something. Yeah. You're going up against some heavy hitters in maple syrup. And I know we're we're talking about just the syrup, but, um, you know, that's something to be proud of. Uh, Hats off to you, Kevin, for winning that. Kevin's also uh, competing in a couple other competitions. Make sure you check out his website. Check out his social media on Instagram and Facebook. You won't be uh, disappointed. If you want to buy something, from him where can they go jim you can go to seldomseenmaple.com and kevin and his crew they've got a great website very easy to navigate they've got all their products on there you can buy their maple syrup by the bottle you can buy it by the case uh you can buy that sugar oh my goodness mike that stuff is so good uh, and they've got some other gift sets there too so you definitely want to check it out well he's also going to be in some distilleries pretty shortly here um, some distilleries from that I love and I know you love. He's going to be down Leaper's Fork. Um, you can find a syrup down there aged in their barrels. Treaty Oak down in Dripping Springs, Texas. Um, I was just out there. His syrup's going to be there. Awesome. Um, and in Garrison Brothers in Texas, if you think uh, you love some maple syrup, make sure you go into Garrison Brothers and pick up a bottle from them also. Uh, Kevin appreciated. Uh, I know he he loves people. You're supporting a local farmer, a local product, a small family. This is no factory place that's putting out maple syrup, right, Jim? This is a good man doing good work. Yeah, got to love it. Well, make sure you check out his site. Like Jim said, seldomseenmaple.com. Pick up a bottle today. All right, listeners, we are back, and uh, as you guessed, we probably have some more Hardens Creek, but this one, uh, Freddie, is a different one. Different end of the spectrum, right? You know, yeah. um, obviously, as I mentioned, Jacob is a strong inspiration for me. Um, just, I mean, literally, if it wasn't for him taking the opportunity to come to Kentucky, I wouldn't have this opportunity that I have. So, uh, 
wanted to honor him with something that grabbed people's attention. Another strong inspiration point for me is Jim Beam himself. You know, I listened to my granddad talk about how strong of a linchpin he was in our family's history. And I always thought, you know, I'd watch videos on granddaddy and, and listen to him talk. I always kind of thought he was the strongest linchpin from my perspective. You know, it's my granddad, right? It's my superhero. Sure, uh, sure. But as I've gotten older and, and done a lot more research and understanding, I understand exactly what he was talking about. As I mentioned before, right, we kind of break it down into the pre-prohibition beam family and the post-prohibition beam family. And the person that's the linchpin of that is Jim Beam, right? So our family was very prominent in whiskey before prohibition, um, moved to near Bar- close to where I live in Bardstown. Um, and then, boom, you got the Great Depression. You got the World War. And the biggest challenge, right? prohibition where we couldn't make whiskey and you know coming out of prohibition or really kind of going into prohibition jim beam was a very he was a very religious man and a very honorable character i've got some letters from you know business partners colleagues and it kind of comes with the time right you know if you read an old old letter there's a lot of like reflection on the the human um and it's a great honor to chat with you and the first paragraph of all these letters would be talking about how much of an honor it is to be friends with him. You're a very, you know, again, studious man. So he sold out. He didn't want to be involved in the, the mobsters and the gangsters and, and the illegal whiskey. He did not get a medicinal permit, so he sold our facility there in Bargetown. Um, it's actually very close to the, the nunnery there, the Nazareth uh, uh, place where, where, where the nuns stay. Um but sold, bought this place very quickly there in Prohibition because there was a rock quarry that was attached to the distillery that had been ran down. So the facility that was on site was the Murphy and Barber Distillery um, and hadn't been operational for quite a few years going into Prohibition. Rock quarry was what he was purchasing. Obviously, my granddad said, you know, granddaddy, he was saying granddaddy, saying Jim Beam, uh, always said, he still, even to the day he died, that he couldn't believe how long prohibition lasted. He thought it would be something very quick, right? Like, there's no way you're going to keep this out of people's hands. And I mean, obviously, with medicinal whiskey and things like that, it probably gave it a, a little bit lengthier stay than it would have had. Um, but yeah, 13 years national prohibition was well beyond what they thought. Maybe two, three years, I think, is right. what he was saying. Um, but to think so, you know. He, 1935 or 1934 prohibitions or into 33 is repealed 34. You kind of start getting going on it. Uh, Jim Beam's 70 years old. He has a young, younger son who I think would have been 12 or 13 when prohibition hit 26, 27. Now I, I know where my mind was when I was 12 or 13 and it, and it wasn't in the distillery. Right. And then, to think that his son grew, I mean, literally grew into an adult doing other things and cousins, things like that. But for him to start this facility back up in 120 days coming out of prohibition at 70 years old. Amazing feat. Yeah. I, I, you know, we just did that Fred B. No distillery. My dad jokes. He's like, you know, I'm not, I'm not 70 yet. And I didn't do any of the actual work, just a part of the project. And I didn't, Wondered how we got through it or, you know, how I continued to be a part of the project as we were going through it. 
But so to think at 70, not only do you rebuild a distillery 120 days, but you invigorate and 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 kind of re-inspire the passion for, for our family in two young or three or four younger fellas that didn't even have a clue what the hell you were talking about, right? They yeah. had whiskey. What the hell is that, right? Um, but so him doing that, getting their passion sparked, um, hey, I think it, it helped set us on a very good trajectory coming out of Prohibition. Uh, but definitely another person I draw a lot of inspiration from because there's a lot of hard – you know, I go through hard times, I think, right? I say I think because shit I'm dealing with, it ain't nothing like what Jake – I mean, Jacob was dealing with coming across the treacherous land. Jim Beam was dealing with prohibition and world wars and you know, a lot of – again, the Great Depression, a lot of tough times. Um, so, I, you know, I, I – Thank him, right? I don't know him, but I th- I thank him a lot for keeping that vision, right? He's he's the one who, when we talk about founder's vision, I think he's the one that I would say has the founder's vision for us because he probably gathered it from his granddad and dad and seen it through prohibition that he knew this is what we deserve to be doing and what we should be doing and got us going. Um, this release – he used the name Colonel James B. Beam. It's actually the first kind of widespread use of James Beam or Jim Beam on a label. So before Jim Beam, our family's whiskey was Old Tub. Um, this Colonel James B. Beam name was the first kind of transition to Jim Beam, um, which ended up happening like 1943, 1944. Uh, but Colonel James B. Beam was a two-year-old whiskey that Jim released. It also ended up being a place where they had used some overaged whiskey. So some six, there was a 16 year old release, I believe a 10 year old release as well. Um, but so, you know, I thought him coming out of prohibition, I want to grab attention with Jacob, right. With a very extra age release. What's another way. And really I started working on this before the Jacobs. Well, um, this was initially slated to come out during our 225th anniversary a couple years back. And so I distilled this to specific parameters that I had had kind of worked on as being a distiller. But also I chatted a lot with dad about, hey, I got this idea. I think this is how we should maybe look at doing something to see some difference. And he said that granddaddy had told him the same thing. Uh, so it kind of like locked it in right then. That's what we were going to do. Lower distillation proof. So you get to, you're picking up more flavor from the beer, the, the fermented beer, uh, the distiller's beer probably picking up some more flavor from that yeast strain as well. Uh, but then when you get to the barrel, right? So two years in the barrel, what I think is unique about this is you get some of those barrel sweet extractives that you maybe don't see till four five, six years, because I think you got a little lower alcohol content and it's probably allowing some more of that flavor to interact with some of the, some of the other things going on, you know, and, and you said, you know, it's kind of got a, some people really like it. Some people are like, what, what the hell's two-year-old whiskey about coming out of James B. Beam? My thing is, is, is we are here on a journey of American whiskey to learn about the flavor that is available in American whiskey. It was the idea behind Little Book was kind of my kickoff to that and my curiosity. This is just another example of that where a distiller has an idea. He wants to teach teach the bourbon or really just the whiskey community something about whiskey right and and this story is about 
how and, and you mentioned it earlier about how young whiskey can be good, right? And how young whiskey can tell a story. It's it's not to be compared to 16-year-old whiskey, right? It's a different flavor sure, profile. Sure. But I think what's unique about this is we developed it to a place where a two-year-old whiskey can command attention in the marketplace. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, every whiskey you release can't be for everyone. You know, as I'm just glad there's conversation being had about two-year-old whiskey, some of the flavor that can be developed there. And who knows, maybe we can use this to to do something even younger or or differentiate at the same age. But the point is, is I made this whiskey, I watched it age, and I thought that at two years old, it had a pretty unique story to tell. Um, and I, I would like to think a consumer could resonate with that, right? To, yeah, to think that, I think so. And, you know, two years isn't just an arbitrary number. There's a reason uh, bourbon could be called straight at two correct, years. Right, right, exactly. I mean, it, really, if you look at it too – Jim Beam aged Jim Beam, four years old, twice as long as the law required to be straight whiskey. So that w- that was, you know, and you look at it back in those days, Jim Beam was the probably the high quality, high standard uh, at that time at four years old. So it, it's a good snapshot to take people back in history and say, you know, the whiskey industry has come a long way with attention and 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 really people's flavor palette has developed right this is a different palette than what that 16 year old is so um i I, it's i think it's the time is right right in in whiskey to be doing exploration and so i'll take the negative comments because i've got a few really really pleasant ones as well and again it's about a journey across whiskey and if if you're a whiskey connoisseur and you don't want to taste a two-year-old whiskey i don't think you're a whiskey connoisseur right here's the funny thing is that Whiskey connoisseurs, right? Which Jim and I are not. We're just bourbon bullshitters. But <laughs> it'll be funny how they'll just gush over some uh, new make or some moonshine, mm-hmm. and they'd pay $100 for a quart jar of that. Yeah. Um, but they'll say two years is too young. Yeah. So which one is it? Is that new whiskey <laughs> good right off the steel, or is it? The two years not good because it has a two year old label on it. Um, I think there's a lot of it right there is people want to be received, right? So if you, it's easy to say two year old whiskey is no good because historically you would probably say that a two year old whiskey isn't comparable to a six, eight, 10 year old whiskey, right? But to me, it's not about comparisons. It's about sitting down, like, like we're doing right here, sitting down, having a glass of whiskey. Do you talk about the whiskey? You know, we talked about distillers getting together. Sometimes mm-hmm. we do. Sometimes it doesn't even come up. Yeah. Um, same here, right? We're sitting around having a glass of whiskey. We're talking about whiskey, but that's it, what it's about is sitting around with with people you enjoy spending time with and sharing in a glass. And whether you're bashing the glass or, or enjoying it, having conversation with the people you enjoy your time with, I, I'll just accept that I created something that, that people – sat around with their friends or family and, and enjoyed or or at least tried, right? Yeah, yeah. This is super oily. I like that you kept it at 108 proof and you didn't say, like, okay, I'm going to take it down to 80 or I'm going to take it to 90. Yeah. Um, it come off the still at 115, uh, straight to the barrel, no water. Kind of took that from granddaddy. Uh, so no water added until post-aging. And with that, right, you say oily, so you're getting a lot, a lot more viscousness. Um, probably, 
even like a, off the still, maybe a little more edginess, right? Because you're getting some more flavor, maybe some different components that you're not going to see at a little bit higher distillation proof. And um, yeah, so to me, I was excited when it came off the still. It's funny, one of my lead blenders, uh, he went to the distillery team because I'm a little bit closer with the distillery team. Uh, and he said, you know, y'all going to have to talk to Freddie. He made this whiskey. Don't it's, it's okay coming off the still, but. He then told me he wanted to release it at two years old. I think either we need to drug test him or you're all going to have to talk to him. And I never said a word about it. They, they laughed. They're like, yeah, you're going to get drug tested. I said, why? I'm like, Well, Todd came in here and he told us, you, you're crazy for wanting to sell two-year-old whiskey. But the day that it turned two years or the day after it turned two years old, we were setting up a tasting. We taste on its birthday every year. Uh, I come in the office here. He was sitting right in that chair right there. And, um, you know, early in the morning, I thought, oh, shit. We got a defect or something's wrong. He wants to talk about you know how we want to manage through some of these these barrels. I said, "What's going on, Todd? What do you got for me today?" He said, "I got an apology for you." He said, "I said something to the distillery team. I don't know if they told you or not, but I thought you needed to be drug tested." <laughs> and I pulled the samples yesterday of the Colonel James B. Beam, and I want to apologize because I don't think I don't think you need to be drug tested anymore. I think there is a story this whiskey could tell. So. Someone that's very close to me, looks out for, you know, my well-being, I would say, um, was looking out for me. But it, so then I got very excited to taste it, right? Knowing somebody that was a, a maybe a little bit of a critic for it, um, was excited to taste it. And so once I did, I I knew there was, like I said, there was a story to tell with this two-year-old. Um, and and it, it's all, again, rooted in, we're looking at at pulling levers, as I call them, in the distillery, whether it's grain whether it's fermentation, even mashing. I mean, hell, we ran a trial that that uh, just by the temperature of which you're feeding the beer to the still has an impact on the flavor coming off of it. You know those corn nuts? Yeah. If they had a honey-roasted corn nut, that's what this mm. would be right here. Yeah. That's a good analogy because you're getting a little bit of the flavor of the barrel in what you're saying there, yep. right? You're getting a little bit of flavor from the grain, a little bit of flavor, uh, you know, what I would say that kind of mingling right to the kind of mingling of the two processes, right? The aging and the distillation. That's what I love about it is as a distiller, right? I make clear whiskey every day. And then as a blender, I get to work on the end result, but a lot of my distillery team, they only get to see the front end of the process. And then I'll take the products to them and taste them with them. But this is something it's a little bit closer to a distiller's whiskey, right? Because a distiller, is making it. And so this is pretty close. My, I always say Booker's is a true distiller's whiskey because it's never touched by water. Uh, he made it right to barrel entry proof, puts it in the barrel, mingles the the barrels together. My dad's doing that now to a profile that he likes and then releases it straight at cast strength. So Whatever there's no water. Yep. Not, not, it's straight from what he wanted to distill straight to the barrel that way. And, and there's a lot to be said about that. So the, I, I'd say this one, Kind of plays in that category. Now, I wouldn't wouldn't say that it's 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 in the Booker's category, right? But it, I, a distiller style whiskey, right? So when you lower the barrel entry proof on something like this, you're actually adding dollars to your cost, right? Because yep. uh, the barrels can't hold as much of the distillate. Yeah, yep, that's right. And Absolutely. so it costs you more to put it up. But at the end of the day, that water plays a crucial role in pulling flavors yeah. out of that wood that the alcohol can't do. That's true. Yep, that's very true. Um, you know, another piece of it too, right? We The highest we distill to is 135. We don't do anything over that. So you're adding about 
10 proof point or 5% water to get to your barrel entry entry proof. That's the most we'll add is that 5%. We don't do any more than that Um, because that's the largest gap from distillation to barrel entry we do. Uh, But when when you're distilling to a lower proof, you're essentially, what I would say, blowing more water, and I'll air quotes because the water is flavor at that point. Mm -hmm. You've created a beer and you're you're extracting the alcohol content, right? If you really want to get down to distillation, it's alcohol extraction. But in bourbon, or in, in, in our case specifically, it's about everything else with that that comes over, right? That starts to develop some of that flavor. So to lower the distillation proof, you're pulling a little more flavor from your front end process. But there's also less alcohol content, which is also still creating what, what, what you were saying there. Um, but it's... Water that has been processed with grain. So it's not it, right? just water. It's not just it's water. It's water. flavored water. Yeah, Correct. Sure. Where if you distill over barrel entry proof, you're just adding straight water. It does have a, a big impact on the flavor it develops. Uh, but this is, again, it, it's a lever, right? What yeah. we're talking That's a lever of whiskey making that maybe people don't know a lot about. So I, it, it, I'm glad that it come up in our conversation because it, to me, you can change a lot about the product you're making based off what you're doing right there. It's got a great texture to it, Mike. I, I really like the spiciness of it. It's got a little bit of that cinnamon, but it's kind of a buttery cinnamon. Yeah, it sits right there on your top of your tongue, right? That that buttery yeah. cinnamon. I, I really like that. I've had a, a honey butter or a, a creamed honey that has cinnamon in it and put it in tea, but it's like this. This kind of reminds me this process, all the stuff we're talking about, the taste of it. Um, we just drank a really probably one of the best rise of our lives uh, not too long ago. Uh, old Leopold. Ooh. And my buddy Todd. I would say that, you know, the, I respect the hell out of this for as a two year old. Yeah. Um, I like to see that it's that, like I said, 108 proof. Uh, listeners, remember that. I don't think you're going to see a lot of it might be the only two year old whiskey. I know that's at that proof. Yeah, there are there are some things that are some notes that are prominent in a, in a younger whiskey and a two year old whiskey that disappear later. Yeah, as it spends more time in the barrel. The barrel kind of filters that stuff out. Sure. Right? And and some of those things are nice. You yeah, know, some of them absolutely. are some of them are not so nice and you hope to see those go away. But some of them are really nice, and you hate to see them go away. Correct. And in this case, I think they've survived. A, That's right. Uh, alone. There's the another. Notes. There's another project I'm working on where we're using a singular grain, um, and at a very young age, really from distillation, I'd say till four years old, you get a very distinct note that reminds me of some bread that my granddad was. My granddad would would make salt rising bread and sourdough bread. Um, as I as I was a young boy, and he was trying to replicate his Jim Beam's wife's salt rising bread re- recipe. And the byproduct of that, he never figured it out. Um, the local baker told him, Booker, there's probably some nostalgia sitting there that you're never going to replicate of sitting at your grandmother's kitchen table eating warm bread. That you you're just not going to hit that. Right? He's like your son. You got a thought in your head that it ain't going to come back to. I think everybody has. Oh one, yeah, one absolutely. Thoughts, right. My grandmother made this. Uh, it was rice pudding, but you could slice it with a knife Ooh. and eat it as bread, warm it up. And it, it it wasn't quite bread, but it wasn't rice pudding. But she called it rice pudding. And I've my wife has tried to make that a hundred <laughs> times over, and I 
she'll she'll probably try it for the rest of her life. No offense to her, but she can't. She's, she's not your grandma, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. a lot so, of it. Or the pan she was making it in. Yeah. The, the so stove, many little things. The yeah. old stove that was gas fired and stuff, but probably the inconsistency in that yeah. had something to do with it's it as cool well. That your grandfather though was trying yeah. that that right there. Oh yeah, and, and that kind of experimenting himself. Yeah, and that when I tasted that distillate. It gave me goosebumps because it took me back to, I mean, like a six-year-old me sitting at that kitchen table, him sliding that piece of bread over to me, me putting butter on it, just melting it, and just remembering that smell, really in the aroma, right? That's that's kind of where I was le- leading to, and then a little bit of hints in that taste. And up until three years old, it had it, and now we've let it age a little bit past that, um, and it's diminished quite a bit. So yeah. it's kind of like so you might see that one come out at some point definitely won't be the initial release, but eventually you might see a younger version of that because that story, I just, it, it's still to this day. I just love. Yeah, I've, I've got some fond memories tasting some, some white dog that just, Oh man, just, just had that wonderful, warm, buttery flavor. Mm-hmm. And it just had, you had the, the butter and you had the, um, the toast, mm-hmm. a little bit of the toast coming from the grain. Oh yeah. And just like you said, tastes just like buttered toast in the morning or buttered bread. And, yeah, to try and recreate that or release something that that puts that forward, nobody's doing it. Mm-mm. And uh, I would be first in line. I'm telling right. you right now. There you go. It's, there's another strike for it for it coming. <laughs> Freddie, you, do you ever see, you know, talking about the future? Yep. Uh, you know, almost every master distiller here has a bourbon named after him. Yep. Right. Do you see anything being named after your dad in the? near future i do so there's some whiskey we've created um really we kicked off the development of that project about the same time i was working on this colonel james b beam um so we've distilled some stuff um let's see maybe maybe three i think i think there's been three years we across three different years we've done um best part of it is it's fred's legacy you know if if it's going to have his name on it I can't tell him when it's ready. Our blending team can't tell him when it's ready. The marketing team wants to tell him when it's ready. Yeah. Uh, but it's not ready yet. And I'll tell you what, I'm super excited about it. Super excited about it. So so in this case, he's, his name's on the bottle. He's going to give you the thumbs up. Right? That's right. I bring him samples home about every six months. Uh, I, I will say we've. We've liked it for a while, but it's not where he wants it. And that's that's more important than sure. liking it, right? Now, where does his palate sort of sit? Does it sit? Uh, so I did an exercise. I'm yeah. glad you asked that for for Little Book um, Chapter Four. Um, I did an exercise where you know a lot Little Book being nicknamed for my granddaddy. Um, a lot of people compare me to him, and my curiosity, my my wife, my kids, probably my mom, my. Uh, my grandmother as well would probably have said his attitude and short fuse is very similar to Booker's as well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, I, I was 16 when Booker passed. A lot of little snippets of of lessons that he would teach me that I see pick up today. But I never had a chance to talk to him about, you know, what's your vision of whiskey? What do you think about where we're going? What do you think about where it should go? So a lot of that comes from my dad, right? You know, I've, my office sits right across the hall from me. He lives closer than our offices are together. Um, and 
a lot of conversation with him about granddaddy and whiskey, right? Because I, as I became a distiller, I try things, I taste things, I take them to him. I'm like, what do you think granddaddy would think about this? Or what do you think Grant, did granddaddy try this? So little book chapter four was an honor to my dad. Um, and it's called lessons honored. And what I did was I was taking samples home for him. I take him samples all the time and I do my wife the same and maybe won't tell him what it is. I just, I like to let people again, let the whiskey do the talking, right? So sure. I put the glass in front of them and a lot of times after it's over, I'll tell them, but for this specific project, I just took some different mash bill, different distillation processes off of our stills, let him taste them. Uh, then once he kind of narrowed a few in, I did a few different ages of them, narrowed it in a little more and really got to a place where he chose a seven year knob Creek at cast strength. I'll, I'll premise it at that. It was at cast strength. Um, but so tasting through him, and he talks about Knob Creek being one of his favorite brands. Yeah, hundred. Uh, he loves the versatility of it at hundred proof. But he also talks about you know seven to nine, maybe ten years old, kind of being that sweet spot for him. So after I did that and and kind of told him what I was doing, I said, "Well, at least you haven't been lying to the public all these years." He's like, <laughs> "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I've just been kind of quizzing your palate a little bit about yourself," and he's kind of looking at me funny. I said. You know, you always said you like Knob Creek. You say seven to nine, maybe 10 years old. I said, I've been tasting you around all these, and you chose Knob Creek seven-year when we were talking about cast strength. So Knob Creek, um, and if you're talking cast strength, seven-year-old, Knob Creek is what he what he really likes. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a good age, yeah. no doubt about it. Well, you get to a place where, you know, at four years old, you're getting to a place where there's a lot of interaction of barrel and grain. Yeah, and as you get closer to that seven, six to seven, you're going to start seeing more of that. Probably fifty-five to maybe six, sixty percent of the flavor coming from the barrel, right? Sure. So uh, you're getting some of that sweet notes, some of those vanillas, the caramels, and things. So there's a lot of lot of flavor to be had in that age range. So it's a lot and, to be said and, you about know, that. You, you have a lot of. Uh yeah, these sort of breaks in the age are at nine, twelve, and fifteen as well, yeah. and those are key points in the aging of that particular oh, yeah. brand, right? Absolutely. That's you know, that was one thing when when we took the age statement off of Knob Creek, we got to a place where we had to use older whiskey to hit that profile. Everybody's like, yeah, 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 you're hitting the profile, but the nine that when we put the nine on back on for the age statement, we really put our money where our mouth is because the twelve was a direct product of us batching eight, nine, 10, sometimes a little bit of 11 year old whiskey to make that profile for Knob Creek. Right. So we put the age statement on, we have this SX excess stock, right? Of older age. We're going back to the age. I said, let's release that 12. I mean, it really good, really good whiskey. So it kind of was us putting our money where the mouth is and say, Hey, we, we had to take the age off due to inventory. We batched it to a nine year profile. Here's an example of how we were doing that. There's the 12 year old, and then with that, we saved some of that back, gave us opportunity to release 15 uh, thereafter. So, it, and, and they're all very different. And right, they're all that, exactly to me right. that 15 hits back that cherry we were talking about earlier. Yep. When we were working on that one, it just kept popping to me. It just kept popping, yeah. popping, popping. And, and for everybody, it's different, right? For me, the, yeah. tw- the 12 is right in my saddle. And that's my wife. She likes yeah. the 12. She, she likes older whiskey. So she was thinking when I brought the 15 home, she's like, oh, maybe I like this one better than the 12. But after tasting them, 
mm-hmm. or tasting it. She said, can I try the 12 next to this? Got them both out. She sat there. I think I still like the 12. I said, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, right? Giving people choices. That's what right. it's all about. Again, because right? we're all around. very different humans out here. Right? Exactly. That's the point of yeah. it. I, I love to hear that your wife loves that 12 year old. And stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, She's my biggest critic. Uh, you know, the, the, and well, Biggest critic because it's the only one I have to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> we we had a young uh, country music artist on, and uh, she's over at the house, and she's like perusing through all my bourbon shelves, and um, we she picked two bourbons out, and we were like, yeah, well, whatever you want to drink on the show, and then she's still looking, and she's like, you got a bunch of Knobs Creek hit over here. Oh, you got my favorite Knobs Creek twelve year old. Um, and I, it was kind of shocking that she picked that out. I was like, wow. Yeah, that was her. So that ended up being the focal point of her show. So nice. she really focused in on that Knob Creek 12. And awesome. She, she sang a couple of whiskey songs and it was fun. We had a great time. Yeah. She's got a little great song called uh, Jim, Jack, Johnny and Crow. Oh, really? Uh, What's her name? Can you Taylor say Hughes. Taylor Hughes. Taylor Hughes. I'm going to have to look her up. Then. Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she said those are the apostles that that touched her soul. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Well, Freddie, man, what an awesome conversation you shared. Yeah. Uh, I think two amazing whiskeys with us. Thank you. Um, and I, I, we have written in our Instagram post and our review of the Jacobs well that um, we think this is a great start to your lineage here Thank at uh, James B beam distilling company. And we are so excited uh, to see what else you do in life. Um, I'm also excited to see who follows in your footsteps, whether it's going to be your daughter or your son. Uh, you know, I'm hoping both of them. It'd be really cool, right? You know, dad named me master distiller, co-master distiller together, but you haven't seen a sibling link up, right? So maybe get my daughter in here, teach her the ropes, then she can bring my son along and I can, I can step back and watch them, right? Here you go. Nothing like a sibling rivalry. I think it'd be good for whiskey, right? I, I really do. I think it'd bring the whiskey industry forward to see. Yeah. And talk about a proud moment for daddy. Oh, oh yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. I just, again, we did a, a promotional shoot for Knob Creek the other day, and someone said, you know, which which kid do you think will come in? And I said, I again, back to my comment earlier, I, I just hope they're better humans than I was. And that, yeah. that that's what you do as a parent, right? You yeah. set them up for success. It would be I mean, literally a dream, right? To work with them or see them work together, uh, but just to see them succeed in life—that's that, what it's about. Um, so, I'll be happy for them no matter what they're doing, as long as they're happy. But I'll keep my fingers crossed there that they're going to come join you're me. Gonna push, you're not going to push too hard, right? <laughs> no, no. Definitely. Again, I'll push them the other way. Yeah, that might right. make them want to do it. <laughs> I, I bet at some point one of them will be like, you know what? This is pretty damn cool yeah and this is something i want to do you know I, I, my daughter's starting to see see some of that now right she's she, family means a lot to her uh, like her grandparents you know her cousins um or, or my wife has uh two sisters and a brother she loves being with them i think she's got the mix already starting to yeah. care right that's the first step you have to care about your family because right? I, I mean, we've said, how many of my ancestors have I talked about since we've been sitting here? So caring for your family, number one, caring, right? And then you throw family in there and then that you're kind of overseeing and, and protecting something. I, I think she's got it. Now, my son, he's still he's still too young to even catch up on any of those cues. He's Like I said, he was here earlier. 
barrel rolling down the hill there and getting dizzy and laughing and flipping and rolling around and he didn't give a shit what was going on around <laughs> you, you never know they become such different people when they hit that age of oh, yeah. 16 to 18 years old though right oh yeah well let's let's talk about caring for family yeah. and uh caring for kentucky mm-hmm. um a lot of our listeners might have seen or they might not have seen because it's really not covered very well but eastern kentucky has been devastated mm-hmm. by uh the torrential rain that we've been yeah. having in floods um i know all too well about it just because my day job um but jim beam has been helping out sending water uh out to eastern kentucky yeah right? i mean even if you back right we're just coming out of pandemic um with with covid we wanted to help the community at that time right shortage of hand sanitizer we we don't make hand sanitizer normally but we basically set up a little satellite um production in in our r&d lab um to be able to help out with sanitizer and ran that for quite a while and then yeah as you mentioned with with everything going on in eastern kentucky i was actually having a conversation right before lunch about uh you know setting up some stuff to do donations for an auction um looking like i'm gonna probably donate a a private dinner um with myself probably tag fred along i'll make him come with me um at the kitchen table very intimate uh, probably intimate dinner um, and we'll donate that maybe a couple bottles bottles as well but, uh, but one thing I know from an operational standpoint there was a need for water I'm pretty sure very quickly we kind of mobilized and, and we're looking to send some water uh, potable water down to the area in a tanker so that they could uh, just have water right I mean it, the things you take for granted until something like that happens and devastates your area you know we had the tornado last year so it this community, what I love about bourbon, what I love about Kentucky is just the community aspect, the, the family, right? It, it, community becomes family when you live in Kentucky. I feel sure. like there's a lot of ties to family, right? You, 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 you touched on it there of caring for family. That's not necessarily us caring for our community. That's us caring for our family as Kentucky. And so anything we can do to, to step up and help out and, and use, you know, I say it a lot. I've got a platform here, right? As now as a master distiller, a little bit bigger platform than I had, but as people in it, we're all from a community. So as people in a community or in, in a family, but you need to use that, that opportunity um, to to bring awareness to certain things from time to time. Right. And to me, it's a great opportunity for us to step in and and help our extended community in Eastern Kentucky. Let's talk about that for a minute, Jim. It's the uh, Kentucky bourbon benefit for Eastern Kentucky flood relief. It's uh, presented by obviously Fred Minnick, uh, mm-hmm. one of the very inspirational in the, uh, the tornado as well. Yes, sir. Uh, the Kentucky distillers association, bourbon crusaders and Westport whiskey and wine. It's an online auction. You can go to their website, uh, Kentucky benefit.com. Uh, the auction is going to run from a, the 11th of August to the 21st of August. So make sure if you're going to donate something, uh, get with Westport whiskey and wine, go to their website. They've got links of how you can donate bourbon yeah. and stuff. Donate vintage uh, whiskey. Yep, yep. Donate anything from your collection. Or if you've got a cool opportunity, you know, you got a bed and breakfast, donate a night to that. I mean, anything and everything would help, right? If you're yeah. going to go ahead and bid on, uh, this dinner with Fred and Freddie at the kitchen table here at James B. Beam Distilling Company. Um, make sure you put those big dollars out That's there. Right. Run it up. Yeah, run it I'll up. I'll make it a good time. Yeah, for you're not you. trying to get a bargain here. You're trying oh, to help that's right. people. We're trying to help people. I, I promise I'll make it worth your time. 
that's a, that's a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of, kind of think about it a little bit different, right? You're taking an opportunity. You're turning it into responsibility. So you're saying, you know what? I've got a responsibility right. here to help my fellow Kentuckians. But, you know, a lot of people say, going back to what's it like to know what you're doing growing up? There's a lot of pressure on you. You got big shoes to fill. And I quickly respond. It's an, it's an opportunity, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it could be pressure if you want to look at it, but I look at it as an opportunity to carry on my family's legacy, an opportunity to hopefully make a difference in community, opportunity to make a difference in the company, right? In the company I work for. So it's about the opportunity. And, and this is just another example of, of using my, my opportunity to hopefully create opportunity for others in, in this time of need. Absolutely. So, you know, usually at this time in the show, we like to, we like to offer our listeners a giveaway, something that they can yeah. uh, get excited about after the show and, and uh, you know, kind of share online. Is there something that James B. Bean would be willing to do to let me let's see here um how about we do a we'll start with a bottle right we gotta gotta yeah, do they, a whiskey they love right? to get you a guys, bottle yeah we're on a, a bourbon podcast here uh gotta do gotta do a bourbon bottle so i'm gonna say um how about a bottle of basil hayden toast how does that sound okay and then I, I like you gotta have you gotta have a glass to drink it out of. So how about a, a nice thermos to go with that? And then maybe some some other swag like a hat, maybe shirt, or I don't know, we we, we conjure up some things there to to throw with it as a little little, little, little gift, gift basket. Pack. Yeah, a little gift basket there. But key one would be that 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 bottle of basil toast and a nice nice glass yeti yeti. Uh, let's go with a yeti so you can keep it. If you like a nice <laughs> cold drink, you can keep it cool. We might throw a Glen Cairn or something in there as well, but well, it that might just good. A little bit of a surprise there. Yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. You yeah. have to give away no, all the saying, details, a right? A gift basket, right? <laughs> With the key piece being a bottle of whiskey and a way to enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, listeners, to win this giveaway uh, on Instagram, the day of the podcast release, we'll have a post. Make sure you go on there. You want to tag three people. You got to be 21 years old. You got to reside in the United States so we can get this to you. Uh, overseas shipping is just a nightmare for us. Um but we'd also uh, appreciate if you go ahead and follow Freddie No on there. I yeah. think it's Beam uh, Master Stiller or no, Beam. Just Beam Generation and the number eight. And number eight. Yeah. Obviously, follow us. We'd appreciate that. Follow Beam Distilling. Um, you can just type in James B. Beam Distilling Company or Jim Beam. Whatever you want to follow on there, follow them. I'll tell um, you what. Don't get on there if you're hungry because a lot of what we post right now is food out of the restaurant. Yeah, and unless you're within close proximity, you'll be salivating, wishing you could come. But uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff coming out on on the Instagram. So do that. Tag those three people on there. Make those a uh, let's say hashtag. Uh, let's do hashtag Freddie No on there Ooh. also, um, and tag those three people in the comments. And then at nine o'clock, because you know Jim, I got to go to bed because I'm an old man. Nine p.m. Eastern 9 PM. Standard Time. Yep, <laughs> I will. I will choose a winner or it'll be a randomizer. What happens? Uh, we'll choose a winner. Um, we'll name that winner and stuff. I think that's an amazing giveaway from Freddie. Awesome. From Freddie. We, we really appreciate you coming on to bourbon road. Um, you told us where we could find you at, right? That's right. On social media. Yeah. 
We highly encourage uh, you know all of our listeners to take a visit here at James B. Beam Distilling. Come to the American Outpost. Have a meal over at the kitchen table. Uh, tour the distillery. Pick up a few bottles while you're here. This is a great location. It's Thank very you. convenient from the interstate. Yeah, right off. Uh, and it's right mile. in the heart of bourbon country. We, we often say we're kind of at the... Or used to say for sure we were at the gate of the bourbon trail. Now there's distilleries in Louisville, so maybe we've lost that title as to the gate. But it's definitely the gateway to to quite a few distilleries down down the bourbon trail. So we're glad to host you all. As as the guy said, tag us on Instagram. We love to hear feedback from our guests and see see people hanging around. So yeah, look forward to to seeing some posts out there. Well, Mike, where can people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all those places. The main places you can find us and interact with us is on our private Facebook group, The Bourbon Roadies. You got to answer three questions to get in there. Are you 21? Do you like bourbon? Hell, everybody loves bourbon, don't you? If not, when you listen to us, you're going to love it. Um, And do you agree to play nice? Because we don't tolerate any rudeness in our group. Whether you drink from the very bottom of the shelf, like I used to drink from 10 high, or the very top of the shelf, like this Hardin's Creek Jacobs Well that we uh, really liked, Jim. Absolutely. Um, we want people to just come in there and celebrate bourbon and celebrate whiskey, um, celebrate life, whether you're having a birthday, an anniversary. Even if you have a death in your family, we want you to celebrate that life by raising a glass and saying cheers. All right. Well, we do two shows every week. Every Monday, we do a craft distillery episode where we – Kind of focus in on one expression from a craft distillery doing things right. Actually, just recently, we had the Hardens Creek Jacobs Well on on our craft distillery Monday episode. I hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, every Wednesday, we do a full-length episode like today's. We'll have a guest on. We'll have a couple of expressions. We'll deep dive a subject every week, two episodes. Mike, what do they have to do not to miss a single one? Well, listeners, what you want to do is scroll up to the top of that app, hit that check sign, that plus sign, that subscribe sign. That app will tell you, hey, these two jokers have a show that's out today and you need to listen to it. Then you need to scroll on down, hit that five-star review, leave us some comments because you know what's about to happen. If you don't, the big bad booty daddy of bourbon is going to come to your house, dragging Freddie No with him with a bottle of this Hardin's Creek. We'll drink it all night long, just laughing our asses off. By the end of the night, you're going to give us that five-star review and some comments but seriously those comments those reviews that open up doors to distilleries for us get great guests on like freddie no here um get great whiskey in our hands like this hardens creek uh, we'd really appreciate it so mike and i are very approachable if you see us in town if you see us at a liquor store you see us at an event make sure you come up and say hey to us shake our hand We'll have a pour together. Uh, we love to hear your bourbon story. What makes whiskey important to you? Yeah, listeners, we are going to be at the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. That's the 16th through the 18th down in Barstown, Kentucky. Come down there and check us out. Um, run up to us. I'll probably have that old T-shirt on, the bourbon bullshitter T-shirt. Jim will have a bourbon road shirt on. Jim's not as recognizable. He's a little shorter guy than I am, but I'll be sticking out of the crowd. Uh, no doubt you can find me. You'll hear my big old boom I'm shorter, voice. but I'm a bigger man. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll also be at Bourbon on the Banks on October 1st. You want to come check us out there. We'll have the Bourbon Roan Lounge. Uh, we got a great whiskey sponsor for that. Um, come into our tent, our roadies. If you're a bourbon roadie on Facebook, we're going to have plenty of bottles from the drink 
from right jim absolutely it's a great time and we definitely like to see you there in the meantime if you need to reach out to mike and i if you've got an idea for a guest or a bottle or a distillery for that matter make sure you reach out to us you can hit us up on our website or contact us page at the bourbonroad.com you can also send us emails i'm jim at the bourbonroad.com he's mike at the bourbonroad.com probably the best way like we always say just hit up our dms on instagram I'm Jay Shannon 63. I'm Big Bourbon Chief. And we'll see you down the Bourbon Road.